Greetings everybody. Today I'm going to be talking about the fulfillment of the law and just explain to you how all of that worked. There are passages in the Bible that is so clear on uh, the fulfillment of the law and just the beauty of what the law stood for and of what Christ has come to do. And we would like to see all of this, just uh, how it dovetails together and gets together. And you can just see the whole package from Genesis to Revelation in how God has put everything together now. He's always been a good God. How we didn't have a temperament change uh, when he when Jesus came and how we start to feel better about the sin of people and those kind of things, but how he has always been a good God. And that's what we're going to look uh, look at today. Uh, before we start, I was just thinking, I want to just use this opportunity to just thank my wife, you know, for just the wonderful person that she is. And, um, you know, just, you know, every time I'm here in the front preaching and she's working the computer and the mixers and everything and uh, sometimes just stressing about the sound and the cameras and everything. So I want to just say to her, I love her so much and uh, so wonderful to to be married to her. And it's uh, good, you know, if, you, if you're married and you're of one mind, you can share the gospel together. You can talk about the good news. Um, I can come and I can share an opinion and she can say, yes, what about this? Or add to that. And, and that's beautiful just to see it, to see how uh, we can together enjoy the good news. And then I'm grateful today just for people that understand the gospel, that grab a hold of the gospel. With me today I've got um, Dawn is here, Jan and his wife Henri is here, and it's wonderful. Jan regularly comes to my house, and um, if we talk about the gospel or if I call him, we have one mind, and that is beautiful. And I think that is what this my dream for this web church is all about. It's not about spoon-feeding you with the good news and say, take this and swallow it, take this and swallow it, or coming up every Sunday with a new revelation uh, wherein we can say, wow, like, um, you know, at a circus or something where you just see new tricks all the time. It is all about bringing the gospel uh, bringing a message wherein we are encouraged in what what God has already put in our hearts. And then the whole vision about this is to have a platform where people, like on YouTube, where you're watching this now, there's a chat area in YouTube. You know, If you click on YouTube, if you're not inside our website, but just in YouTube, you will see on the side there's a, a, a chat a function where you can meet people and see people and get into our web church <coughs> and our Facebook pages and Meet people that are like-minded and then start to talk and fellowship. And as you grab a hold of this message, share it with one another, you will see how your understanding develops. As like-minded people start to talk about things, although they are not maybe all of them at the same uh, uh, revelation at that moment, at least they like-minded, they're on the same road. And that's how great encouragement comes. So I want to just uh, say I'm grateful and thankful for what God has given. I was sitting there today um, as the service started, and I just think of how God has just brought everything into this ministry. Um, financially, how this studio and everything we do here was provided for. The TV station that we're starting on uh, to broadcast on, how that was provided for, and how I can sit with ease, just come here, everything is set up, and I can preach, uh, preach the gospel without ever manipulating anybody just out of the hand of God. And I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for every person that has given towards this ministry. And I want to thank you so much 
for what you've done and just following what God has put in your heart. Hallelujah. Amen. I just wanted to share that. I, I feel gratitude in my heart so much. So what we're going to get into today is a passage that I remember years ago, a vessel that worked for me, um, his wife, Janette, is still working for me. Um, he came to me and he said to me, Bertie, there's a passage that I want you to explain to me. And it says there uh, in verse uh, uh, Romans 3, verse 30. Uh, and what was nice about this was when Bessel came and he asked him the question, he didn't ask me the question to test my knowledge or anything like that. He's, he believes the good news, but that was just uh, something he doesn't understand. And he came and he asked me the question, and I said to him, let me go and have a look at it and pray about it. And um, because I couldn't immediately explain what, uh, uh, what it meant. <clears throat> but in the meantime, the Lord shared with me the answer to that, and I shared it with him, and I would like to talk about that today. It says in Romans 3, from verse 30, it says, Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yeah, we establish the law. Now that doesn't sound good to any grace person. How can What he says is, he says, if we preach faith, are we then making, the, making void or making the law empty of no use? He says, no, we are establishing the law. And some people has misunderstood that again and uh, now saw that as a platform wherein we can say, well, you see, the law is being established. Therefore, we must continue to teach law teachings and be law-minded or have a back door open for the law. I've seen it so many times when we, under grace, seem, seems not to be able to sort problems out, then we revert back to the law. You know, and that's what the Bible says, that our God is only a good God and He abradeth not. That word abradeth means He doesn't take account of the past. So God is not going to take account of the past laws and He's not going to go back to that old law system because... What the law stood for is now established. The law is established. And that's what Paul says. He says it's actually, he says when we preach faith, we are establishing the law. Now how does that, I mean does, that doesn't make sense. Because the law has hurt us. We've tried to find righteousness by the law. We've walked by the law. <clears throat> we saw it cannot work. Then we got delivered in a certain way and we got into other type kinds of laws and, um, and that hurt us and eventually we realized that by the law shall no flesh be justified as the scripture says in Romans clearly. So if the scripture says no flesh shall be justified by the law, how can Paul say we establish the law? Now the way wherein Paul meant that we establish the law was not that we put the law in place so that we must obey the law. What he was talking about is, he says that that which the law stood for has now come into manifestation. Amen. So what does the law stand for? And that is the big question. What does the law stand for? What does the law say? If you take the Bible, <clears throat> if you read the Old Testament, and you read it, and I, I'm guilty of it, I just didn't know better. But the Lord has shared things with me and revealed things to me wherein I could see the law for what it truly is. If you read the law and you say, 
Well, in Matthew, now it's going to sound as if I, I'm contradicting myself, but please hear what I'm saying. <clears throat> if, I, if I open it in Matthew and I say, right, right there, this part is old, this part is the new, and we're just living out of the new, and this is the new thing God has come to do, and this is the only thing, then we're going to miss it. Now, I know Bethany Brits has not fallen back under the law. What I'm saying is, is this, that God didn't start to be good in Matthew or in the book of Acts. God has always been good from Genesis. And Genesis 1 verse 1 up until Malachi, or if you want to go further, you can even go unto Jesus' resurrection, the day before the resurrection. All of that talks in every point and in every comma about what God will do in Christ. So that law points to Jesus. And once Jesus has come, and we now believe in Him, whatever the the law stood for is now established, and we are walking in what the law was pointing unto all the time. The problem is that we read the the law wrongly. And that is a big problem. Uh, This morning I said something, and and I know it's radical. Please hear what I'm saying. And I'm going to say it now, and then I'm going to try and explain it. The law was not even given to the Jews, or written unto the Jews. The law was not written unto the Jews. The law was not written unto the Gentiles. The law was not written unto any human being except Jesus. The law was written to Him as a guide and as a shadow and as a showing forth on who the Lamb of God is, what the Lamb of God is, what He had to end, and what He had to bring forth. That is why only Jesus could fulfill the law, and no other person could fulfill the law. We think that the fulfillment of the law is obeying all the commands, like in, um, I mean, Jesus, He didn't have to come and slaughter a lamb to fulfill the law. He was that lamb. Jesus didn't have to pay tithes in order to, um, to fulfill the law. Jesus was the tithe. You know, Jesus never paid a tithe because carpenters couldn't tithe furniture. You tithe on food. Okay, Jesus didn't come there and then took a tithe of, of his prophet there, which was one chair, he, he made ten and then had one, one extra one, and then he went and ate that chair in remembrance of the Father. Because that's what you had to do with the tithe. Jesus was the tithe. Jesus was that fulfillment of the Ten Commandments. Jesus was everything from every part of that temple that was built. The door, the floor, the sides, everything, every point and comma points to Jesus. What happened with Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened in the flood, what happened in Noah, everything points to Jesus. That's it. And that's how you need to read that law. And if you don't read it that way, I'm telling you, you're going to read it wrong and you're going to not understand what the fulfillment of the law is. And you're going to, we're going to have, we're going to be, and I I talk about that, first-hand experience of that, we'll be antagonistic towards the law and because we don't see what the law is. Now, the way where we did see the law, we better be antagonistic towards it. We will, we better have to be against that. Because the way we saw the law was, it's something we need to do to put a smile on God's face so that God can bless us. And now 
uh, we didn't do that and we were worthy of punishment and then God, since he's a righteous God, must punish. Now he's punished Jesus and since he's punished Jesus now, then he doesn't have to beat up on us. And since Jesus did those commands, now we can, um, we can have it for free. And then in that freedom system, we kind of bring in some laws somehow. You know, That way of thinking about the law, if you say, I hate that, I want to say, amen. Same in my case. I hate that. I don't want that. I detest that. That is using the name of the Lord in vain. That is what it is. One of the greatest sins mentioned in the Old Testament is using the name of the Lord in vain. You shall not use his name in vain. In other words, use his name and actually bring forth bad in the name of God. And that's what these Pharisees did. They didn't understand the law. They didn't know what it was written for, who it was written for, and how everything worked. Now I want to go to um, Hebrews 10. <coughs> Listen to this. For the law... Having a shadow of the good things to come. Okay, so what is the law? The law is the shadow of the good things to come. The law is the shadow. So if I take this Bible, and I've got so many lights here, but if I take this Bible and I try and I, there's a shadow on me of this Bible. This shadow is a shadow of the Bible. So this shadow cannot define anything. This shadow, accurately interpreted, must look like this. Otherwise, you're not seeing what the shadow is saying. The law was a shadow of the good things to come. I like the Afrikaans there. Afrikaans say say it uh, uh, much better. The Afrikaans says that that the, the... Wet was a skadi van die weldade wat so kom. The good deeds that will be done. That's what it says. And then it explains what the, um, what this, this uh, 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 good deeds are. So, the law was given, as we said in previous broadcasts, the law was given so that the whole world can become guilty before God. So we see the law was given that no man can see that he is able to have eternal life by himself. Now that is very good. And that points to Christ. That is given, and what happens is, Christ, the law was written to Christ, now we want to do the work of the Christ. And now we find that we cannot save ourselves. That's a very good point to be at. Because now you can call upon Christ to be the one that rules over your sin, that rules over your death, that rules over your fears, that actually rules over physical death in your life, and gives you immortality. Okay, now, let us read Hebrews 10 again. I want to miss the point in Hebrews 10 here. It says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So what is the good work that the law was a shadow of? Of making the, those who come unto the law perfect. Now, let's read it again. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the image of the things can never, in other words, the law having a shadow of the good things that will be done towards you and it's not the image of or the substance of what will be done unto you can never make you perfect. So what is the good work that will be done towards you? 
The good work that the law prophesied about is that God will make you perfect. (laughs) Amen. So what does the law talk about? The law says you are not perfect and you cannot have perfection by your own works. But that law pointed to and prophesied about Jesus Christ and as it prophesied and pointed to Christ, it talked about the action of Christ which will perfect you. So, we can never in the New Testament say, live perfect. In other words, we must live perfect. No, the New Testament is always, God is the one who perfects you. And whenever we read the law in the Old Testament, the bottom line conclusion, should your conclusion or interpretation of the shadow be accurate, it will conclude that Christ will make you perfect. And now we're going to look at what that means. It says, For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Wherefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you did not want, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book It is written of me to do your will, O God. Now, what is the will of God? What was this will of God? The will of God was that man would be perfected with the very quality of God's life by the doing of God, wherein God is the all in all, wherein He is the one that brings forth thoughts, new thoughts in you, brings forth life in you, and gives you and shares with you his life. Now, the law cannot do that. The law, or let me put it this way, we by the law, if we go to the law, the law itself can never produce those things in your life. That means, a, a simple example is, That means tithing can never make you generous. For the law cannot make you perfect. Because perfection in God's eyes as pertaining to giving is generosity. Not the next thing you can get by your giving. (laughs) The law can only show your inability. That is why the more we preach, preach laws and rules and regulations and all those kind of things, the more we see the corruptness of man in his own ability. That's what we see. For the law does not have the ability to bring perfection forth. For this reason, the law was never given so that you could be made perfect by the law, but it was given and it was a guide unto Jesus so that he could see what he would bring forth in his death and in his resurrection and in his obedience and that he would know what kind of a mediator he would be and all those kind of things so that we that now believe on Christ can have that that which the law law prophesied unto fulfilled in us. You might say, Bertie, but why does it work like that? Practically, why? Very simple. When God 
knew that Jesus would be born, that his son would come to the earth, if you want to call it like that, or the word would be made flesh. And as he that was from the beginning came into this world, because we believe in a family-orientated God, as the son, as Jesus, the Savior, came into this world, he would be born inside the normal intellect of a human being. He would be born inside the parameters of our shortcomings. He would not, when he was born that day, look at Mary and say, Mary, I'm actually holding you, you're not holding me. You know, he didn't know that. Jesus needed people to change his nappies because as a baby he couldn't control himself. That's what he needed. Jesus didn't, the day he was born, know math. He didn't. He had to learn math. In the very same way as what he had to grow up, he, God had to then explain unto a human, which was in the likeness of sinful flesh, inside terms and metaphors and uh, 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 <clears throat> stories, He had narratives, he had to explain to that person that he is actually the Son of God. And that he, by giving his body on a cross and being baptized with the baptism of John, that he will actually be able to take away the sin of the whole world and conquer the sin of humanity, so that whosoever believes in him, after he would be raised from the dead, would then be co-seated with God and live with the life of God never to die. Now, that is a mammoth of a task. How do you explain that to a human being? It's difficult. It's not easy. And we see how the Holy Spirit came and through these things about goats and animals and rivers opening and Egypt and people being led out and all those kind of things, God got it right to get enough of a garden together, if you want to call it like that, wherein he could bring forth the lost Adam being made in that garden, and he put enough fruit trees there, which would be all these Old Testament stories and the law and all those kind of things, that he could eat from that and gain understanding to do his work in the earth so that he could multiply and fill the earth. That is what it was all about. So here Jesus comes and he reads, he reads the old. And he reads and he sees that it's about clothing. It's about having the prayer show. Oh my gosh, people are still stuck in the prayer show today. That is crazy. Listen, I want you to say straight out. If you spend money on a prayer show, thinking that you're going to put that thing over your head and you're going to hear God better, and that is the right thing to do, and whatever. You send money there, you're in sin, man. You need to repent from your wrong belief. And I'm saying that in love. That, that mentality will destroy you. You can be upset, and that will be sad for me if you're upset, because the next thing you normally do is switch the thing off. But maybe that upset causes you to think a bit and go and ponder upon what Christ has done. That pressure is just a type and a shadow of Christ. There's no power in that thing. Absolutely, as what David went and ate the the showbread because he knew that was a shadow. And if you're hungry, you need bread. In the very same way, the only true 
substance that that pressure can ever have for you is if it's cold and you need clothing. That is the only thing it can mean for you. The true substance is the resurrected Jesus Christ. Jesus was also in those, he was also caught up in the clothing thing. He was also caught up in the animal thing. I know that Jesus, I mean Jesus when he was a child, don't you think Mary and Joseph didn't slaughter a lamb for Jesus? They did. They did. I tell you, Jesus every year, he went year by year to do those Jewish systems. He was a very good Jewish boy. And then one day he got a revelation. And he realized that all these things is just a type and a shadow. And he went so far. Listen to this in Matthew. Matthew, he says, it is not one point or one comma of the law shall pass away till it be fulfilled. And then he says, and I have come to fulfill it. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says that there is not a point or a comma or the least stroke of a pen that doesn't talk about him. That's what he says. Now let us, with that in mind, read Hebrews again. This is what it says. It says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. So what he's saying is, is if the law worked, then you wouldn't have to do it again. Like tithing, if it worked, you will only have to do it once. But the reason is it's not working. That's why you need to do it again and again and again, because it's got a fading glory. It doesn't have, like the law, why does, why does the old system only have a fading glory? Because it's a shadow of what would come. That's why it would fade away. It was designed to be, it's as much as what a prophecy. A prophecy is not designed to be forever. If there was a prophecy that says, I would marry Helena Bardnost, that prophecy will stand. But the design of the prophecy is, if somebody says, when you're at the age of, I remember with Helena, back then I was very spiritual, you know, I went, I saw Helena, and I just saw her, I said, you know what? And she was just this pretty girl. I, I felt a word from God for her. So I said, I've got a word for, uh, uh, I said, I've, I didn't even know her name. So I've got a word from God for you. You're going to be married before you're 23. And since I don't want to be a false prophet, you know, I had to make sure she's married before she's 23, and that's what we did. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so the prophetic word, it's okay if I say that, isn't it? Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want trouble after the service, you see. So, <clears throat> um. That prophecy can only stand until it's fulfilled. So the prophecy has never been designed to be the substance, but the the wedding, the marriage is the substance, and it will be of no purpose the moment it happens. And that's what Jesus says. He says, slaughtering of lambs, all the old covenant eating rules and all those kind of things. You know, let me just get into that quickly. The, the, the eating thing. You, 
I don't say by eating healthy, it cannot help you. But there's no eternal life. If you by healthy eating cannot make your body immortal, I want to tell you that it doesn't matter how healthy you eat, it is still not the answer. The only answer is Jesus. So if we read the Old Testament about the food things, it was just a shadow. That's all it is about. It's talking about the physical, whenever you talk about things you should eat and shouldn't eat and all those kind of things, it all points to the ending of human ability to bring forth the eternal life of God and it points to the ability of God to overcome and end evil. Sodom and Gomorrah, it just talks about how God would eradicate what destroys man. That's all, in Jesus. When it prophesies in Malachi 3 about the axes against the root, it prophesies about Jesus ending the Jewish people as the people of God, where they would think they are the people of God, for the Jewish people were never the people of God. All people has always been the people of God. That's why Jesus says, I have sheep of another fold. It is also his sheep. the, The Gentiles has always been the people of God. The problem is all of the people of God, Jew and Gentile, were bound under sin and death. And the law was the beautiful writing unto Jesus, which man tried to obey, which would destroy him because man cannot be the Messiah. He cannot be the Savior. You will not be called Jesus, for you cannot save yourself from your sins. So here we see in in Hebrews, it says, For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is made, made a remembrance again and again of sin, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. You see, the covering of sin and the taking away of sin works like this. The covering of sin is, that was done and the sins was, was covered in the sense of the type and the shadow would now save. Once this sacrifice would come, then the people would go away free. And that was the covering. It means, it simply means that they were, in my own words, covered under the shadow. You know, meaning that if, if you would take a lamb and slaughter the lamb, and the blood would flow and all those kind of things, and you go away now, not with a guilty conscience, that would just be a type and a shadow of what would come. But the truth of what it says here, that those things could not take away sin. And the way we read taking away sin is, that we will not be guilty before God anymore. But that's not what it means. What it means is that if I have got a problem with lust, I can slaughter all the, all the lambs of the world. I will still have a problem with lust. If I have a problem with bitterness, if, you're, if you were molested as a child and you feel that you can't get over it, today somebody testified in our church about how she was raped and how Jesus set her free. You know, she could go and pay all her tithes. She could do any sacrifice that doesn't have the power to set her free from that. The only thing that can actually stop sin in your life is Jesus. And that is what Jesus is saying here. And that is what the law points unto. That makes the law beautiful. That doesn't make my heart turn against the law. 
That makes me see the finished work of Jesus and read the law in order to see the finished work of Christ. And we don't see a dualistic system wherein there is a good, uh, wherein there is this um, dualistic. What I mean by dualistic is the system where it is a good God that's got a bad side, which is a penalty substitution system thing. We don't have that if we start to see the truth of this. Now, let me read on. It says, Wherefore he comes into the world and he says, Now listen, this is Jesus. What did Jesus preach? Let me read what Jesus preached. It says, For it's not possible for the blood of bulls and ghosts that it should take away sin. Wherefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering, you would don't want it. You wouldest not. But a body has thou prepared for me. So what did Jesus preach? What, was, what, what did Jesus communicate through his whole earthly realm, or earthly walk? He, he communicated that the whole old Jewish sacrificial system of the temple and all those things is not needed. That's what he said. That's why he had to explain himself in Matthew 5 to say that, don't think I've come to destroy the law. Because the things that he was saying interpreted by the Jewish mind would be unto the destruction of the law. But he says that what I am doing is actually the fulfillment of what all these things talk about. Amen. That's why he went to the temple. He said, break this down and in three days I'll rebuild it. Can you see it? He says that that temple, he goes to a fig tree and he says, if you say to this Sycamore tree, a kind of a fig tree. Be planted up and be rooted up and planted in the sea. It shall obey you. He uses the ocean, the trees, the temple. All those things talks about him and his work. Everything. <clears throat> he says, Wherefore, when it comes into the world, a sacrifice and offering you would not. But a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offering and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Above, when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offerings for sin, you would not, neither has pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said I, lo, I come, and I will do your will, O God, which is to take away the sin of the world. He taketh away the first, and he establishes the second. So the first was the prophetic word. The second is the substance of this word that was prophesied. I, I don't know where that, uh, man, it says there, I'm sorry, I missed that verse now. But what he says is, he says then he will take the law and write it on our hearts. What, what is this? It's the law of life. It is the law and what it pointed unto and how it was fulfilled, and how that new law of life, the very life of God, will be written in our hearts, and what He's done and accomplished for us. He will write that on your heart. So I want to say to you, when the Bible says He will write the law on your heart, He's not going to write the Ten Commandments on your heart, and it means now, effortlessly, you're going to do the law. It's never meant that you will effortlessly do the law. That woman effortlessly will go uh, in the time of their menstrual cycle, they will go outside of the town and live outside of town effortlessly. That's not what it meant. 
It never meant that. The fulfillment of the law and God writing the law on my heart would be what the law pointed unto and this law. So we can actually say that the law pointed unto Christ and it was a shadow of the truth. And as we grab a hold of the truth, the shadow finds its definition in the truth. And as the revelation of Jesus overcoming the sin of the world, Jesus overcoming the death of of people, as that revelation is written on our hearts, that is the writing of the law on our heart. Amen. The message of how righteous he is, of how good he is and what he accomplished. Amen. You know, church, I, you know, I spoke to Dawn uh, and we talked about our website, Dynamic Love Ministries website, and uh, I also spoke about um, somebody from Canada and him and his wife said that they listened to basically every message on my website. They listened to about every message before they ever contacted me. And back then I had about 900 messages on there. And they listened to everyone. And you find people established in the good news. You find people that know the gospel and their lives can testify of what God is bringing forth. I'm not saying that we we don't have areas in our life where there is not uh, salvation needed. But one thing I can say is when I look at people that take the gospel, listen to the gospel, follow after the gospel, walk in the gospel, see the power of the gospel, make themselves available for it, study it out, have an open heart. You see the change that comes. Yolanda this morning testified, she said, as she started to hear this grace message, as it started to touch her heart, and she was just happy about it, she found effortlessly certain things change in her life. Why? Because the law is now written on her heart. Not the letter of the law, the what the law stood for and the establishment of the law. If I preach what I preach to you today, I'm establishing the law. I'm establishing what the law was always all about. Let me end off with Psalm 14. Let me just end it off with making it very practical. It says here, I delight to do your will, O my God. Yes, your law is within my heart. And then Jesus comes and he talks about the law that was in the heart. And this was now, this verse 8 in Psalm 40 is just after verse 6 and 7, which talks about sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears have you opened. Burnt offerings and sin offering you have not required. You've prepared a body for me. Lo, in the volume of the book, it's written of me. I delight to do your will. And then the will of God was that Jesus would make us perfect. That Jesus would actually, by his power, take up the responsibility of God to end sin in people's lives. The problem that we have is we've preached uh, escape theology, wherein God will never have the ability to end the sin of the world because we've made sin a theory and a stance before God instead of the true definition, which means to miss the mark or not to experience the quality of God's life. When God says that Jesus takes away the sin of the world, what that means is that as we stand before God, whatever shortcoming there would be, since we've tried to find life by the law, we've got a clean slate. There's innocence of 
all people and the fulfillment of that word would be an earth that is so full of the glory of God that plants would live forever, people would live forever, no one will ever think one wrong thought ever and people will never die and they will all share in the goodness of God. Now you try and get that right with Donald Trump or with Obama or with some political leader and let me see. Helen Zillen, South Africa can never get that right. I promise you. No political leader can save people from their sin. No political leader can make you not want to lie. No political leader can set you free from lies. No political leader can set you free from bitterness and hatred. No, politi- no political leader can set you free from a, a, a love for money. It can be enhanced. Can't set you free. Jesus is more powerful than any political leader. And as foolish as what it might sound, I want to tell you, as you believe in the resurrected Jesus, and you start to believe and see, your heart gets persuaded by the power of God, that He came and He delighted to do the will of God, and how He preached righteousness in the great congregation. What was the preaching of righteousness? It was the preaching of the equitable deed of God in the great congregation, which was people wherein God would take away the sin of people, wherein God would take the woman that was caught in the act of adultery and loved so on her that when He says, go and sin no more, that she was so empowered by the love of God that she effortlessly found a brand new life. That was the preaching of righteousness. I have not refrained my lips, O Lord. You know, I have not hid your righteousness within my heart. So what was the law written in the heart of Jesus? It was the message of the righteous, equitable deed of God towards the world, which which found its manifestation in Jesus, in His death and in His resurrection. That message was written on the heart of Jesus when He saw the law was not about laws and rules and and obligations, but it was all about Jesus and what He's come to do for us. So now that will will be God's law written on the heart. So what was God's law? God's law was this man, unless this man, Jesus, takes away the sin of the world, the world will forever be bound in sin and destruction and they will never share in my quality of life. That will be written on our hearts. Now I can go much deeper into that but we, we've already run out of time. Last verse. I have not hid your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your salvation and your, your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. Isn't that powerful? You know, we've got this uh, for, for the South Africans that watch. Somebody has put a, a video up and said that what we need to do in South Africa... And I'm not negative. I'll give a positive word on this because that's how I feel. I feel positive about this. And I feel there are practical things wherein we can walk this truth out. He said, we have prayed together and we gathered a million people at Bloemfontein in our prayer meeting, thinking we're now going to have a change in the nation by having a million people pray. And what, did the, what happened at the prayer meeting was mainly we confessed our sins and said, God, we're sorry, forgive us. And from there on, we then also asked God to help us. And I do believe that many people there were sincere in their heart. But the problem is 
the whole foundation was we repent of our sins, we're going to take up our authority as men in the house, and we're going to walk as families of God in this world, and then God will heal our land. So like, we humble ourselves, we humble ourselves and pray was interpreted this way, we stop our sin, and then we live right, ask God for forgiveness, and as we continue, God will heal our land. The problem is, people swear and cuss at one another as they drive out of the place because of the traffic jam. Because there's a million people there together. Do you think people driving home, if they drive from there a thousand kilometers home, 600 miles, they, would, they, they don't have racistic thoughts anymore? <laughs> no. Feeling sorry for your sin cannot save you from sin. You need a revelation of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Seeing your unification in Christ. Seeing yourself one with Him and from there, see it to the point where you say, God, I'm fed up with a life that's anything less than what I see there. And you know what we then do is we say, we've got the authority and we now take the life of Christ. Oh, you've just missed it right there. Sit back and say, God, I see your promise. And you've poured out your spirit on me. And I patiently wait for you to manage. That sounds like being passive. But I want to tell you that's the fastest way. If God does not build the house, you can build as quick as what you want. It's not going to work. The only way wherein we will see a true solution for South Africa, for America, for Zimbabwe, for any nation, a true solution for Norway, because, you know, you find some of the Nor- Nor- Norwegians, they don't believe in, I mean, a lot of the people, they are doing well, so financially so well, but they're sitting in their houses and they've got the highest suicide rate in the world. It means it doesn't work. Maybe you can get certain things in order on how to run a country, but you cannot save sin from a person's heart. You cannot give him immortality and eternal life. You cannot give him the thoughts of God. You can teach him a culture that looks kind of good, but it's not the life of God. Another thing is, let us take, and I think it will be a beautiful thing to see, but the one guy said, let us arrange a thing where people will hold hands from the north northern point of South Africa to Cape Town. Now that is about 2,000 and something kilometers. man. I don't know how many miles that would be, many. And South Africa is as wide as what is long. <clears throat> and then make a cross and take hands and say, we stand against the murdering of people. And um, this guy also said the murdering of farmers. And we stand against that. He says, and then we all bow our knee and we confess our sins before God. And then we stop our sin. That is just another form that's not going to work. I think if we come together and people do have, as they do such a thing or such a type and shadow, whatever, and they can come to a true revelation of what Christ has done and their lives can be born from that, then God will still not do a miracle for the nation. Then the miracle will happen in the three or four million people that it takes to to form that long line and they will go home and they will have love in their heart. They will, when they stand, it's like, my wife wouldn't want me to say this, but you know, the other day she was standing there at the uh, supermarket and she was paying stuff and she saw two people next to her. And these were black folk. And they were there busy with their stuff to pay for their... And she said, and she just felt the love of God. 
and said, can I pay for you guys? And they were so happy, and they, everybody was, it wasn't a man-made thing of having an arrangement, let us now all buy people's groceries for them, and now change the world through that. No, it is the love of God, the revelation of who you are, wherein God brings forth a brand new life, and then, then, it, then you do those things, and it happens. I saw another guy taking the, the lady uh, the, that works for him. Uh, this was a teenager, and there's a video on YouTube um, of this. And he took this black lady, said to her, listen, let me teach you how to drive a car. Took the parent's car, and I have a lady that cannot drive. She's working in the house. She cannot drive. She's never driven a car. And he teaches her how to drive a car. And how they almost make accidents and whatever. But you see something beautiful there. And out of things like that, born from a revelation of the goodness of God, we will see a change in a nation in the world. But I want to tell you, there's no other way than that way. There's no other way. Glory to God. Jesus fulfilled the law. So let us pray and ask God and say thank you, Lord, for writing your law on our hearts. Father, I want to thank you that we could come together today and talk about the fulfillment of the law and your love for the world. Thank you, Father, that we don't ever have to read the Bible to see what we need to do. For we see that this whole law was a type and a shadow and pointing on to what you have come to do. And now you will write what you have done which is this law, this righteous act of God on our hearts. And as that revelation is written in our hearts, you rule and reign over sin and death and the fruit of the flesh in our lives. And we start to love on one another and we find the goodness of God and the kingdom of God manifest in our lives. And as an internet church, we come together today. And you know, as, as you're watching this, I know many of you switch it off as the program ends, but just, just open your heart. And let's pray this to God and say, God, everything Bertie was teaching, everything your Bible says about what you've done, I don't want to miss out on any of that. And you don't want me to miss out on any of that. That's why you've included me in your death and resurrection. And my members, my mind, my will, my emotions is available for you to bring forth your perfection in me, free from my effort. And I patiently wait that you bring this forth as I've got this hope and this belief in my heart. Amen. This makes me so happy. <clears throat> Glory to God. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Uh, as you feel this in your heart, share it with people. People need to hear this gospel, man. They need to hear this good news. Go to my website, dynamicministries.com. I've got over a 1,000, I think 1,200 messages by now. Go, you can indulge there. You can go onto the playlist on YouTube. We've got this whole thing on YouTube. You put that playlist on, you click play and you listen. If you're tired of listening, stand up and go and do what you need to do. And as you come past, you'll get another piece again. And you just open your heart for the good news. And, and make sure there's an atmosphere in your house of this good news, man. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for watching. I'll see you again next week. God bless you.